a Bigfoot sighting that makes us re-examine what the world must look like to our ten-foot furry friend. And then we take a look at the bizarre crossover of the world of the paranormal and alien life. Is it possible to give an alien an exorcism today on Dead Rabbit Radio? Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I had a great birthday and I thank you for everyone who sent me birthday wishes. Also, special thanks to Sabine. She got me a Blizzard ice cream cake from Dairy Queen. This episode is sponsored by Dairy Queen. This episode is actually fueled by Dairy Queen. I devoured this ice cream cake. Cookie dough Blizzard ice cream cake. Every cell of my body is now infused with the power of, of raw sugar and whatever other ingredients are in there. Cookie dough, obviously. Another thing that's currently infusing my cells, odd transition, is our newest Patreon, T-Mad. We're give a clap out to T-Mad. He's all flown around. He's, he's getting devoured by my white blood cells. He's like, no, no, no. We'll pull him out of my body again. Super weird transition. Now he's standing there. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, I totally understand that too. Just help get the word out about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Now, I know yesterday I promised to f- actually lift it as a cliffhanger to let you know how to find out whether or not you're a reptilian. And I was going over it and I'm like, this isn't, this is, this isn't really that entertaining. It wasn't that great. I kept going over my notes and basically boiled down to this. There's actually a huge list of like 25 physical symptoms you may be possessed by a reptilian. They were things like you're suffering from Alzheimer's. Which if you're suffering from Alzheimer's, you're probably not reading the list, first off. Secondly, there's a lot of people who suffer from Alzheimer's. The, the, the website basically stated that all forms of memory loss, including Alzheimer's, proves that you're a reptilian. Also, other signs you're being currently possessed by a reptilian is numbness of your extremities or face, pain in your chest that mimics a heart attack, you're having a heart attack. If you're having a heart attack, you're like, oh no, it's those it's those reptilians in me again. Just go to the doctor. At the very end of this list, a lot of them were like eye pressure, violent sneezing. That's a sign the reptile's trying to get out of your body. Uh, hearing voices, if you feel like someone's always stalking you. If you have chronic depression, that's a sign you're a reptilian. And I'm looking through this list and I'm like, these are actually like medical emergencies. These aren't proofs that you're being possessed. These are things you have to go to the doctor for. And and there was basically a list of 25 basically very grievous injuries. If you get in a car accident and you're bleeding out, you might be possessed by a reptilian. Went on and on like that. And then it capped it off with this thing. These were the signs that the reptilian has totally taken control of your body. You're greedy. So that's a lot of people. That's almost part of the human condition. You're a misogynist. If you actively hate women, if you go out of your way to hate women, you might be possessed by a reptilian. If you're a pedophile, and that's a weird one in the group. The pedophile is always the weird one in the group, by definition, but I guess I am doing this segment now, but it's a much shorter version. We all know people who are greedy, right? Again, this part of the human condition. I've known a few misogynists in my life, like people who just actively hated women, and they didn't hide it. They despised women. Might have been reptilians, I don't know. But 
Then the pedophile, right? That's a weird one. I could see that's such a uh, obscene behavior that you could see that almost not being human to engage in that. But if someone just is greedy, if someone's just greedy, I mean, I get it. Smaug was greedy. He sat on a bunch of gold. Greedy, misogynist. If you're a pedophile, you might be reptilian. The last big thing is it doesn't fit into any of those three. If you hate seawater, you might be a reptilian. So I just saved you. I actually tried recording that segment two or three times, and it wasn't any good. And it was, I str- imagine what I just told you stretched out over the course of 20 minutes instead of being compressed into five minutes, and it just didn't work. But in case you really wanted to know why you hate seawater so much, why you refuse to go to SeaWorld, why you hate sea salt, why you hate Salt Lake City. Actually, now that I think about it, didn't I do a story about reptilians living underneath Salt Lake City? So, I don't know. I don't know. But if you are if you happen to be a greedy, misogynist pedophile who loves the land, then you might be a reptilian. You also might be having a heart attack and suffering from Alzheimer's at the same time. You might be a reptilian. All sorts of crazy stuff. But that's the end of that segment. T-Mad, <laughs> we had to compress that one down. T-Mad, I'm going to toss you the oars to the Dead Rabbit rowboat. We are going to take a quick journey down the Columbia River in Oregon. So, <sighs> we're rowing the boat. T-Mad standing on the bow, smoking his corncob pipe. It's summer 1992, and we're going to sail by rooster rock it's this massive rock that has its own little state park it's rooster rock state park in oregon now it's also known as cock rock i think originally it was called cock rock and then a bunch of people go uh we probably shouldn't call it that we probably don't want to have a sign that says cock rock state park but anyway so they changed it to rooster rock apparently it's supposed to look like a rooster it actually looks like an egg so i guess it can be whatever you want whatever you imagines in the egg but you have cock rock there now, it's known for two things. It's known for one thing in this area. That's where dudes go to bang each other. It's like a cruising spot. We're going back to the year 1992. We're at Rooster Rock. It's a nice, hot summer morning. It's early morning. It's 2 a.m. There's a couple out camping. There's a man and his wife out camping, and they're having fun. The husband keeps looking in the distance, looking for a, a sexy man-shaped silhouette. Honey's like, come cuddle with me. He's like, yeah, in a second, in a second, baby. But anyways, he's looking out in the distance, and they hear a... And they look at each other. They're like, what That was what was that terrifying noise? What was going on? So the man gets up to investigate what this horrible noise was. He begins walking around in the darkness. He doesn't see anything. It's 1992. Flashlights hadn't been invented yet. Back then, we just had to put our arms out as far as we could and just feel into the darkness until we bumped into something. And this man is doing that. <laughs> no, he probably had a flashlight. But anyways, the point is, is that he's walking. He doesn't see anything. And then he turns and he sees 10 feet in front of him, Bigfoot. <laughs> the man freezes. And looks, and he describes this 10-foot-tall, furry man with eyes the size of silver dollars. And they were glowing red. When's the last time you saw a a silver dollar? I don't think I even know how big those are. Just imagine, like, big old tweaker eyeballs. 
poking out of his head. Don Knotts' eyes. I guess that's an even more obscure reference than a silver dollar. He sees Bigfoot ten feet in front of him. But Bigfoot doesn't acknowledge this man. Bigfoot is staring off across the river at Washington. And the man is so terrified by what he's seen. He runs away, which is, is, which is what you would do, right? He's unarmed. He didn't have a flashlight. He's thinking he needs to invent one real quick. He runs. He gets in his boat and launches right off of the water and boats away. Now, remember, he wasn't alone. He left his wife there. And his wife was wondering, where the hell is he? He just wandered off into the darkness. And then he, she hears the sound of paddles hitting the water. What is going on? She actually, this is long before cell phones, that's not a joke, this is long before cell phones, she had to eventually call a friend, which took a while, because you have to actually go to a phone, she's walking down the highway, she gets a phone, she calls up a friend, she gets picked up, friend picks her up, and then she finds out that her husband was arrested, he's being held by the cops, she goes to the police station, she goes, honey, what happened, like, it was in the middle of the night, and we heard that horrible sound, and then I heard a boat launch, and then I had to walk all the way down the freeway to make a phone call. And he goes, honey, you won't believe what happened. And he told the story that I just told you. Now, this story was from something called Ray Crow's Track Record. I've been coming across this, it seems like a zine, a collection of books or something like that. I've been coming across this a lot lately. Think about it, docs.com. It's actually where we got all of these stories. Today, I really, really like this resource, but they got it from Ray Crow's track record number 43. And I actually tried looking for this. It's defunct. It's defunct. I couldn't find it still being published. I Memory serves me right. You can buy it like you used to be able to buy a collection of it on Amazon, but I, I don't think that's even in print anymore. But he tells the story. That's all the information we have. Now... That's either one of two things. It's either the story of Bigfoot actually... It's interesting because if Bigfoot is a biological entity, because we always have that debate here on this show, you can't cross a river like that. You can't cross the Columbia. You can't swim it. People have swam in it in the past. But if, if Bigfoot is the measurements that he is, and if he's more simian than man, like gorillas can't swim. I don't know about monkeys, but I saw this documentary once called Planet of the Apes, directed by Tim Burton. There was a key point in it that I found out in that movie, gorillas can't swim, and that is true. But could he swim? A, a raging river is, to a human, it's a huge obstacle, but we can invent boats, or we can not invent them. If we just have one, we can use boats, even in native times in the area. You could get across the Columbia. Nowadays, we build bridges across rivers. But to someone like Bigfoot, he can't be like, one toll, please, and like paying with silver dollars. He's pulling them out of his eyes like a magic trick. Here you go. He can't cross the bridge. For him to stare off across this river that's what, like, I don't know, 700 yards across, if not more, it's an insurmountable gap. It'd be the same thing as if you came across the middle of the Grand Canyon and you'd be like, well, I can walk down it and then climb back up the other side or I can walk around it. And a river is even worse. Like, it, it goes on for miles and miles and miles. The one edge is the ocean. He's like, oh, me Bigfoot in bigger predicament now. Because he can't, like, sail around. <laughs> and he hates salt water because he's a reptilian. But yeah, so he's kind of stuck. 
The other, so that's kind of an interesting way to look at how a cryptid like Bigfoot would view geography. He couldn't use all of the mechanisms that we use. He would just stare across the river and go, oh, me want there, me want to go home. And then just kind of sit there. But knowing, <laughs> knowing the reputation of this area, I have another reading of this story. This guy went to go bang some dude in the bushes. And the dude wasn't a 10-foot-tall hairy guy. He was just a 6-foot-tall hairy guy. And something went wrong. And he jumped in the boat and sailed away. Or actually, now that I think about this, what if him and the dude in the bushes got on the boat and sailed Because it doesn't say why they got arrested. So what if they got on the boat, sailed away, and the cops picked him up? It's an interesting story. The, to be fair, to be fair, to not say that this guy just happened to be cheating on his wife with another dude in the middle of Rooster Rock Park. They did say that the next day they found a set of footprints, a set of tracks, 17 inch long. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> there's, there's evidence that it was Bigfoot. But who knows? Maybe the dude was hooking up with Bigfoot, actually. I know that's a real popular erotica genre. Maybe that's the reason why he was at Rooster Rock to begin with. Not the guy, but Bigfoot. So, all sorts of mysteries <laughs> that I'm not willing to explore any further. T-Mad's already on the boat. He's like, come on, come on. So T-Mad, call in that carpenter copter. We are leaving behind Rooster Rock State Park. And we are headed out to Seduna, South Australia. It's July 28th, 1997. There's a man named Alan. Now he's an elderly man who had a reputation in the area of being a water diviner. Those are the people who can find water, obviously. But but it's important in a desert area. Like If you're on the coast, you're like, there it is. And everyone's clapping. They're like, oh, he's so good. I thought the water was not here. In a desert area, you would use these people. I'm not saying that it actually works, but in a desert area where you need wells and things like that, instead of just digging wells everywhere, digging a bunch of holes, you have a water diviner come out, and he holds like little crystals, or he has the stick. You guys have all seen like the Y-shaped stick, and you hold it, and you're like, uh, uh here's water, and then like you, you start digging there. That was his skill set. But he also had an interest in good old-fashioned Ouija boards. And one day he's sitting there, because you gotta, you got to be uh, varied in your interest. He's sitting there, and he's moving the Ouija board. Can you use a Ouija board by yourself, actually? I don't think you're supposed to. While he's doing this, it starts to give him an instruction. Really, it gives him directions. It tells him to go to a bush outside town. It's all me, bush. It's a Bigfoot. Bigfoot's ghost trying to get him into the bushes for a little bit of loving. And while he's doing this, he's asking, you know, like, why do you want me to go to the bush? And, and the Ouija board is actually pretty accurate. It says that he's going to meet someone there. Really, it says he's going to meet an alien. He's like, well, I... Guess I gotta do that, right? I guess I gotta risk life and limb. The board told me to. So he goes out to the bush to meet this alien. The Ouija board also said explicitly, you're gonna meet this alien and he's going to abduct you. Why did this guy go on this adventure, right? At all. But anyways, the Ouija board says, you go to this bush, there'll be an alien waiting there for you. He's going to abduct you. So he's like, I'm elderly. I got nothing to lose at this point. Other than, you know, being, a, being abducted by aliens and being experimented on for hundreds of years while they keep me alive in some sort of torturous test tube. He shows up. He goes to this location. A hot Australian wind is whipping through this bush and he's walking closer to it. And then he sees an alien standing there. Clear as day. 
an alien. He doesn't describe the alien, so it could have been a gray alien. Could have been really could have been anything, right? It could have just been a tall Nordic blonde guy standing there. But he runs into this alien, and the alien's looking at him, sizing him up. And the alien says, No. No. He rejects Alan. Alan asks why, and the alien tells him that he was, quote, too good of a man, unquote, and decided not to abduct him. The alien and Alan just stand there in the middle of nowhere, looking at each other for a moment. Alan gets back in his car and leaves. Alan said, the story wraps up like this, this was a fairly short one, but Alan says, from that brief interaction, he got the feeling this alien's intentions were not good. He got away from the scene. I don't think he probably ever used the Ouija board again. He's like, ah, best two out of three. That's an interesting story because we don't really see a lot of crossover between the paranormal and aliens. But if Ouija boards have the ability to communicate with spirits, and we already have alien technology that's so much based on telepathy, and just just the rules of the universe not applying to them, why couldn't they use a Ouija board to communicate with people? Interesting story. And again, if he had disappeared, if he wasn't too good of a man, had he disappeared, he would have just been a missing person in Australia. The story would have ended with, the story never would have been told, right? Someone would have went into this old man's apartment. It's flooded with water. They're like, oh, he found it. He found it all. And everyone's drowning. But then when the rescue team goes to pick up those people, they would go, oh, you know, we came into his house. There was like a bunch of weird stuff. The Ouija board may not even be out of place. You saw a Ouija board sitting on a table. You would just have a man who, who went missing. An elderly man. They go, oh, maybe he went out for a walk. Maybe they'd find his car at some point. It would be mysterious, but it wouldn't be recorded. It'd be a little little note in the local police log. Old man goes missing. I'm not saying the Australian police don't care about elderly missing people. They're like, every time some grandpa disappears, they're like, that's Australia for you. That's actually our slogan. Old people go missing. Welcome to Australia. They would obviously investigate it, but it wouldn't become part of UFO lore. It wouldn't be something that was ever really talked about on that level. I've been doing Patreon live streams recently. Live streams, because I want to reward the Patreons for all their awesome support. I was doing Patreon live stream, and on it, Burnt Toast Ghost, which is someone who's been supporting the show for a long time, asked the question, do you think aliens have souls? And that's an interesting question. And I think the next story may provide a bit of an answer. T-Mad, let's hop back in that Carpenter Copter. We are headed out to Italy. We're headed out to Monsumino. That's in Potenza, Italy. It's September 14th, 1992. 11 p.m. That helicopter's coming low over like a bunch of villas and like adobe brick buildings and stuff like that. However their buildings look. I'm sure they look normal. (laughs) What? I don't know. We're going to land in the middle of the city. And we're walking around. Everything's quiet. It's pretty late at night. And we see a little house in town. The lights are on and we walk and we're looking in the window. And we see two people sitting there. One of them is a medium. One of them excels in being able to talk to the dead. The other one was a clairvoyant and exorcist. Dual class, this person. 
They're sitting there. It's up late at night. They're drinking tea or coffee or salt water. I don't know. But they're just having a good time. And then all of a sudden, they see a luminous sphere float through an open window. They're like, did you do that? And the other person's like, no, I thought you did that. I'm just an exorcist and a clairvoyant. You're the medium. Like, no, I'm actually a fraud, but don't tell anyone. That's super spooky. And this orb opens up. And out steps a one meter, what is that, like three feet tall dude with white skin. Scaly white skin. A little reptilian human walks out of this orb. So now at this point, they put down their tea, they've put down their drink of choice, they're hiding their salt water. This creature's standing there and he's looking at these two. And he points to the exorcist and goes, I need your help. I'm like, what happened? And he goes, you won't believe, you won't believe the day I had. And he sits down. Ugh, so good to get off my feet. You know how hard it is to pilot one of those orbs. What he actually says is that he was recently in Puglia, which is another place in Italy. And he's like, listen, guys, this is what happened. So I was just minding my own business, and I might have abducted somebody. I might have abducted a human. I don't know. Maybe he wanted to come. He was kind of freaking out the whole time. But you know the way things happen sometimes. You accidentally abduct people aboard an alien starship. You know what I'm talking about. He's all nudging them. They're like, we don't. We have no idea what you're talking about. We're surprised you even speak Italian. He's like, yeah, it's a gift. I, air quote, abducted this guy. And I have him aboard my spaceship. And he cast a spell on me. Not a love spell. But like an actual evil spell. A spell that would actually make me worried. Because I could feel it working on me. Now... I'm flying around in my ship, and I realize that I'm going to have a real bad <laughs> bad afternoon if I don't get rid of this spell. So that's why I have come to you, pointing out the exorcist, because I know that you can give me an exorcism. So the medium and the clairvoyant kind of look at each other, and they realize, first off, this is super bizarre, because this guy is identifying himself as an alien. He's obviously an alien, right? If we take the story at face value, this guy's not making it up. He floated into their house and jumped out of an orb. It's a really hard trick to pull off. David Blaine would have a hard time doing that. David Blaine would have also have a hard time making himself appear to be three feet tall and a reptilian. But they realize this is an opportunity of a lifetime. And so the exorcist goes, yes, we'll give you an exorcism. And then the alien goes, step on board. He's motioning. You can't see what I'm doing, but he was motioning towards the orb. So the the exorcist and the clairvoyant kind of look at each other and they're like, yeah. Any orb in a storm, they all walk into this orb. It's obviously big enough for this little dude and these two normal-sized humans sitting in there. And for the next five minutes, the exorcist performed the traditional exorcism. Doing this cross, sign of the cross, and then like saying a bunch of stuff in Latin and the alien's just kind of sitting there. I don't know if the alien's head was spinning around. He's like, oh, no, no, that's normal. We always vomit. Blech. I don't know if he was going through all that stuff. But the exorcist says, I have like a five-minute exorcism that I can do. That's what I did for the alien. Alien was very thankful. The orb opens back up. Doesn't abduct us. 
luckily. We jump out of the orb, the orb flies away, and we've realized that five hours have passed. Never saw that little guy again. Now, that's a, that's a bizarre story on multiple levels. One, when we talk about whether or not aliens have souls, I couldn't answer that on the live, live stream. It's a pretty complicated question. Do all living things have souls? Do no living things have souls? There's a lot of stuff you can work in on that. Um, but the idea of like an alien being cursed by a spell, we're no closer to that answer, whether or not aliens have souls. I, I would assume they would, but if you can cast a spell on an alien, an evil spell like that, I think it would lean more towards the fact that they do have souls. The magic would attack them at a metaphysical level, as opposed to a physical level. And any sort of physical representation of a spell or a curse working would really be working at a metaphysical level within your body. So you have that idea. You have the idea of, first off, that aliens are vulnerable to magic. That's something I've never, ever thought of. That you can place a curse on an alien and it actually affect them. The other idea is that whenever we have missing time stories, generally there's always a sinister motive to it. There's always, we went driving, we don't remember what happened. Next thing we knew, we were both standing outside of the car, four hours have passed. There's always this sinister implication. Here were people coming to help the alien out of their own free will, and they suffered a time loss. They willingly stepped onto the ship, they helped this alien, and then when they get back off the ship, five hours have passed. And they don't recall that sort of time distortion. So it's one of two things. These time loss incidents are not malevolent, right? It's simply the act of interacting with these sort of elements distorts space-time. It's not because they're trying to hide anything. It's not because they're trying to prolong their experimentation. It's just simply a fact of it. Just like you can't jump into the water without getting wet. It's impossible. This would be that same thing. Your clothes would get wet or your wetsuit would get wet. You can't jump in water without getting uh, getting wet. It's not the water doing it to be mean. It's simply a fact. So it could be something like that. It could be something like that. Or it could be that even though they went out of their way to help this guy, at the end of the day, human generosity is alien to aliens. So when they stepped on that ship, they did cure him. It was a quick five-minute fix. But remember, he had abducted somebody earlier in the story. He had taken somebody and was metaphysically attacked by this young man. You notice that he never says what happened to that guy. And what would you do if you were an alien being, you had someone in your grasp and they cast a spell on you? Would you let him go or would you punish him? And now these two mystics get on board this UFO with this creature who had abducted someone just hours ago. Could he pass up the opportunity to continue his research on two more humans? And really not just any two humans. Two humans who knew how to pierce the veil. Two humans with abilities far beyond what normal people can do. So while they used that beautiful human gift of compassion, 
mixed with curiosity to help out this creature. He couldn't let his curiosity and scientific inquisitiveness to pass this opportunity up. So while they may remember spending five minutes on this orb, helping out a little reptilian, for the remaining four hours and 55 minutes, their memory has been erased of the experiments, of the torture, of the mind-altering tactics that this reptilian would use. He learned all that he could learn, and he let them back into our world. But now this alien, one, knows that magic is real and can be used against his kind. And two, has everything he needs to know to defend against it. A blueprint of two human psyches that are able to communicate with the dead, to see the future, and to rid a host of demons. Those are skills that are far more powerful than a ray gun or a teleportation beam. When you combine science so advanced, it seems fictional, with the abilities that have been talked about for tens of thousands of years on Earth. You can create an unstoppable alien adversary. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, and I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.